Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Dockerman. And we are the hosts of Inglorious Trexperts. But not only that, we're now the hosts of Trexperts Briefing Room, curated audio commentaries of significant Star Trek episodes with writers, producers, stars, and more. And this week on The Briefing Room, we have a very special treat for you Star Trek Discovery fans out there. Something Joining us. too wild for our ordinary stream. It could not be contained on Inglorious <laughs> Trexperts. It will be, however, on the Trexperts briefing room feed where you can listen to writers Jesse Alexander and Aaron Eli Collette and the Trexperts talk about Harry Mudd's second appearance on Discovery, magic to make the sanest man go mad, which is kind of how we feel watching Discovery a lot of the time. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, Anyway, if you want to enjoy hear a really great commentary on the Star Trek Discovery episode from first season with Harry Mudd, you want to check out Trexpert's Briefing Room. And uh, in future weeks, we'll bring you some great episodes of classic Star Trek, The Next Generation, Voyager, Enterprise, and Discovery. So check out the Trexpert's Briefing Room wherever you listen to podcasts and watch your own curated audio commentaries today. If you think you felt a great disturbance in the force, you're not wrong. Ed Gross and me, Mark A. Altman, have a new oral history coming out this July from St. Martin's Press. It's Secrets of the Force, the complete, uncensored, unauthorized oral history of the Star Wars saga. So wherever you buy books, audio and video, pick it up today, pre-order, and you can learn the secrets of the force. And don't miss our oral history of Star Trek in stores now. And of course, nobody does it better. The complete oral history of James Bond in digital, hardcover, paperback, and audio. That is all. Hey, Darren, I'm watching the best show on television. You want to know what it is? What is it? I think I know, but what is it? Inglorious Trexperts. <laughs> and you're thinking to yourself, that's wait a second, that's not a TV show. It's but not it a is. But it is. It, it is. is. It's a TV show because you can watch us on the Electric Now app. It's an app for streaming video podcasts as well as movies, television, and more. You can see us on demand on Electric Now. I demand it. I demand it because I demand it. <laughs> Commodore Stone can watch us on the Electric Now app. And how do you get the Electric Now app? Because apparently people are having trouble understanding the concept. Just go to your app store from whatever device you're using or all of the devices you're using. And you download it to your phone, your iPad, your Roku, your whatever, whatever you, whatever you, whatever you have that streams. Other than a Viewmaster, you download it, and and then you watch it, hundred percent free. There's no charge. Yeah. There's no Patreon. There's no Electronic Frontier. All there is is a free app. So download the Electric Now app from your favorite app store and watch us on Electric Now. If you're a fan of Inglorious Trexperts, you're gonna love. Trexpert's Briefing Room, a Trexpert's new series. Trexpert's Briefing Room? What is that? I was about to explain, then you interrupted oh, me. I'm it sorry. Is, it's curated audio commentaries of classic Star Trek episodes from the original series all the way through Enterprise. You're going to love it as we explore the behind-the-scenes making of all these wonderful Star Trek episodes with cast and crew that you would never expect to hear doing audio commentaries on Star Trek. Sounds like fun. It will be. And you can find it 
on the Inglorious Trexperts podcast feed and on the new Trexperts Briefing podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Let's go see what's out there. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Docterman, and we are the Inglorious Trexperts. And this is Lost Trek Returns. Enterprise, this is Admiral Kirk's party on final approach. Enterprise welcomes you. Prepare for docking. I hate inspections. I'm delighted. Any chance to go aboard the Enterprise, however briefly, it's always an excuse for nostalgia. Well, with Spock as captain, you don't think I'm going to turn anything up, do you? By the end of the month, you'll have your own command, the USS Excelsior. Oh, congratulations, Commander. Thank you, sir. I've been looking forward to that for a long time. Well, I, for one, am glad to have you at the helm for three weeks. We're going back. It's more lost moments from Star Trek, because uh, a couple of weeks ago, we did an episode that apparently people really enjoyed about, you know, deleted scenes, omitted footage from the Star Trek movies, extra footage that appeared in television cuts and and it, it caused a lot of uh, a lot of attention we actually talked about it on our post show live clubhouse but obviously since only certain people uh can get on the clubhouse we thought it was worth doing a deeper dive and uh who better to do it with than the man who was there at the time uh you you know eddie egan from when he was on the show last time he was a publicist a unit publicist and in marketing for star trek the motion picture star trek 2 star trek 3 and star trek 4 then went on to much success at universal 20th century fox he was uh, uh head of marketing and, and and publicity and just uh had his fingers in lots of different pies but he loves Star Trek. So even though he went on to be a very prestigious and well-known and beloved studio executive, he still loves to talk about <laughs> Star Trek. And it's amazing that it has that kind of kind of resonance because, you know, Michael Eisner's not showing up to talk about Star Trek. But yeah. Eddie, Eddie, Eddie Egan is, I, I love, I see him engaging a lot on the um, social media and stuff like that. And we always just, you know, we talked about this on the first episode both Rob and I have this great connection with Eddie from back in our days when we were young fans. And so it's really, uh, it's always a thrill to, to talk to Eddie because uh, it reminds me of, of those days. And I'm, ju I'm just so glad that he still has this, this connection to Star Trek and this passion for Star Trek. You know, all you, you talk, a lot of people talk about the suits. They don't care. But, you know, um, you know, Eddie Egan is somebody who cares, you know, a great deal continues after all these years, uh, you know, after much success on many films, uh, you know, to be really invested still in Star Trek. So anyway, that's my introduction to you, Eddie. Oh, welcome, welcome, Eddie Egan. <laughs> <laughs> Thank He's you not the guy with the floor, the floor, the, no, the, not the floor, floor installation no. on Melrose. This yeah. is this is the Eddie, Egan, the, 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 the executive. Um, and then, of course, uh, returning. Uh, you know him as the host and the, the, the proprietor of the Per Network. He's a pop culture commentator extraordinaire and uh, a producer, an editor, director, and that is uh, Robert Meyer Burnett. Welcome back to the uh, Trexperts, Burnett. Always good to be talking about my favorite franchise. <laughs> well, I was I was a little surprised uh, uh, by you know what a great response we got to the uh, lost Star yeah. Trek scenes. 
And, you know, I have to say, we didn't go into it exactly prepared. You know, sort of went in and winged it a little bit. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, there was this. What scene, else is new? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're not big on the research here at the Trexperts. And uh, so, you know, a lot came out after that episode. Um, and it really feel that was, felt it was worth doing a deeper dive because it was some great stuff that some of our listeners pointed out, some stuff that, you know, other people pointed out. And it all started, I think, with our excitement for extended cuts. And ironically, uh, Shout Factory about a day or two after this episode dropped announced that they're releasing King Kong 76 on Blu-ray, not only with, this is a great phenomenon Blu-ray happening these days, not only the, the theatrical cut, but they're going to release the extended TV cut, yeah. which I was delighted. I don't even like the movie. And, and I the, was so excited. And also well, the Snyder cut. The Snyder well, cut. He's going to cut King it, Kong. If you're going to go there, there, there are two TV cuts that are elusive that I would love to have. One is Airport 77. Oh, and yeah. The, the other is Two Minute Warning. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And those have like an hour long. Uh, they're an hour longer with all subplots galore. Apparently yeah, on TV, it's Three Minute Warning. <laughs> yeah, as someone like I spent uh, 17 or so years at Universal, uh, both of those were Universal movies and mm -hmm. they they specialized in the expansion of their event movies for television. They And can I just jump in and say something? Please, please. How do they do that? Like, um, Well, uh, at least one of them has now been released, uh, Earthquake. Mm. Um, I think Shout Factory put that out also, uh, has the TV cut on the, on the Blu-ray. But they hired different directors. In the case of Earthquake, they went back after principal and either a second unit director or another director entirely filmed additional subplots with some of the cast uh -huh. and some entirely new stuff. I mean, there's a long sequence in Earthquake of a plane trying to land at LAX during mm. the quake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you are introduced to the people on the plane. I mean, it's not, it's terrible. Plus the infamous uh, Marjo Gortner cut. And there's more Marjo Gortner. <laughs> hey, okay. you can never go wrong with Marjo yeah. Gortner. Yeah. This when you're coming so, back, Red Rider. Yeah. This is so crazy. And this is why, why this show is a ridiculous exercise of nostalgia. You talking about it made me realize exactly where the, the break, the break for the night when it was oh. join us tomorrow for part two of Earthquake. <laughs> I know it was, I know exactly where it fell. It was, remember when he's going up, uh, the, he's, he's evil, he's evil, Knievel was big yes, in the 70s. Yes. There was Richard the motorcyclist, yeah. Yeah. right? Yeah. And Richard Roundtree is about to go up and do the circle, yeah. but it, right during the earthquake, it collapses. Yeah. That was exactly the moment <laughs> that they did the, to be continued. Sure. Just like I can tell you on Superman, it was right when he was flying up with Lois Lane when the helicopter was about to right. fall off right. the Daily Planet, and it was to be continued. I know because... I did the perfect edit on my VCR. The absolute perfect. You could not even tell that I cut two different nights into one. It was pristine. Superman's flying up. There's no jump. I mean, and this is like literally just riding the remote control. I had this thing on a cord with where you would stop and pause. Sure. That's how old this VCR was. It was one of the first VCRs. Uh, and, uh, and, and so she's flying up. And then part, and then the next day on Monday, I started up and it was always a little thing because that you had to know because the VHS would back up a little bit before it started recording. 
and it was you could not even see the cut. It was a thing of beauty. And you know, the know irony, the irony now is that I, for one, wish that we had all of the station IDs and the commercials intact. Mm. <laughs> that you know? is so funny because that's exactly true. It's yeah. like, who, who needs the v VHS of these old movies that because most you know, like like for instance Warner Archives released the ABC cut right. of Superman. So but what it do you doesn't need create the, actual... the experience of watching it on TV. You guys sound like you're Rumpelstiltskin, like we spinning are. straw into gold. Like there's no technology that you could, you know, we're, we're, these are like the ancient times. You enjoyed it. I don't know what to say, Father. I, I'm afraid I, I just got carried away. I anticipated this, my son. You I couldn't have. You couldn't have imagined how good it felt. You are revealed to the world. Very well. So be it. But you still must keep your secret identity. Why? The reasons are two. First, you cannot serve humanity 28 hours a day. 24. All 24. As it is in Earth time. Your help would be call for endlessly, even for those tasks which human beings could solve themselves. It is their habit to abuse their resources in such a way. And secondly? Second, your enemies would discover their only way to hurt you by hurting the people you care for. Thank you, Father. Lastly, do not punish yourself for your feelings of vanity. Simply learn to control them. It is an affliction common to all, even on Krypton. Our destruction could have been avoided but for the vanity of some who consider us indestructible. If it were not for vanity, why? At this very moment, I could embrace you in my arms. My son. One of our one of our listeners, one of our listeners actually told us about a website where they have these original airings. And uh, he was kind enough to send us um, Battlestar Galactica um, with the original commercials. And it's so uh, funny because the whole thing was you wanted to cut out the commercials. But now you actually want the commercials yeah. because they're a time capsule of that yeah. era of what it was like. I actually would love to see the Jimmy Carter speech about Camp David Accords yeah. <laughs> that interrupted Galactica in 78. <laughs> anyway, so so Eddie, this is fascinating. Tell us. I think we know, but for our listeners, why the networks would do this. You know, obviously you talk about incurring the additional cost of a second year director filming, yeah. filming more footage. Um, I, I can tell you, um, uh, I had access to, uh, you know, the legal database at Universal. So I would sometimes go back and look at the deals that were made as part of the green light process. So in the seventies, um, television was like, it, movies of the week were common, but then they had the blockbuster movie events. And at some point, the networks started lowering their their fees 
for what they what what they'd pay a studio for a movie. So as part of the delivery requirement um, to, for the network airing, the studios would have to prepare a longer version mm. that was unique. Um, that that wasn't the theatrical version that was that was unique to that sale, and um, very and there were whole departments. They it, it, they still exist. I mean, they're you know to to the extent that um, there are still airplane cuts, air, uh, uh, airline cuts, right. and and things like that. There are company. There is there are studio departments of studios that specialize in uh, fitting things into a certain time slot, uh, speeding up the end crawl, uh, we're all familiar with. Um, so that's, that's how that started, but very, but some producers, now I'm talking about the King Kong one, because I remember seeing that on, um, I don't know whether it was ABC or it was NBC, NBC. Yeah. Um, they didn't actually film a whole extra lot, but they still were obligated to deliver, uh, a longer cut. So what they end up doing is having a cutaway to every bit of coverage they film. Of. So when Kong breaks through the wall on Skull Island, you saw it, villager number 18 reacting. <laughs> then you saw someone in, in the, the, uh, the, the uh, Petrock Explorer crew who didn't get a close up reacting. It just was- I love that you know the name of the oil company <laughs> in, in um, the King Kong. Yeah. It's full of useless information. Um, so they would, they would pad them out that way. Um, but that was, you know, I think De Laurentiis, uh, God love him pioneer. Uh, he wasn't the, he was, he was tight with a dollar. So he, he didn't, he, he said, all right, we'll give you a three hour cut, but it'll just be stuff we'd filmed. But there is stuff in the latter part of the movie when Kong is in New York that was not in the theatrical version. He, more, uh, he wrestles more with the train. He, uh, there's a bit where he goes, uh, he spends more time before going into the East River to Manhattan. Uh, I assume that will be on the, um, the, the version that's coming out on, on, on Blu-ray soon. But does he ever straddle the Twin Towers the way he did no. in that awesome John Berkey painting? Oh, my God. One of the great one sheets <laughs> no. of all time. But all of those paintings were done as sales materials. Sure. You know, so they told me they predated everything on the, uh, you know, on, on the film itself. So it's um, so funny. I would have thought. um First of all, I love Dino's favorite famous quote about the movie. When my monkey die, everybody cry. That's the best. It's a true story. But um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I really, you know, I thought that the reason for these cuts was by extending them, they could play over two nights and they would pay, get a bigger well, no, license. That was, that was part of it. That was part of it. But it was also the difficulty of if you have a, a theatrical event movie and mm -hmm. it's two hours and 15 minutes long, they have to cut stuff out you know, and violence and all the stuff that was... Right. Uh, of the of that time they had to both mm. trim them and then find ways to expand them but in the case of the universal uh, movies like two minute warning or airport 77 or airport uh, or earthquake they actually had a whole unit doing the tv cut 
Right, right. Of course, back in so, those days, the networks wanted something exclusive that they could yes. that they could promote that yeah. was different, obviously different from the theatrical, because you needed to give people a reason to watch. Yeah, and although as, way, I, they could as I recall, I, and I wonder if you guys remember, very often it was not stated that there was anything more or new, as far as I can remember. They didn't say it. They, yeah. they, they never promoted that. And you would think it was such a promotable aspect. Like the only time I remember it was actually on the box for Star Trek, the motion picture right. yep. where they promoted extended yeah. edition with never before seen footage. Yeah. I don't remember that in terms of the TV promos ever promoting, you know, yeah, no, that, that's, that was my memory as well. Um, it's, it's interesting. You know, there's a woman who's in, uh, it's either it's either earthquake or airport 77 who was she was on mary hartman mary hartman oh god um deborah lee yes deborah lee scott i think so yeah uh, yeah that rings a bell she has she has a role in the uh flesh the the expanded edition of earthquake that does not exist in <laughs> the theatrical one so right. Yeah, so people were employed, sets were used, um, promises yeah, made. Interesting time, yeah. <laughs> well, because the difference is, you know, that's why they called Universal the factory. It really was yes, a factory, yes. and it's they funny. had their back lot, so they could just go and shoot this stuff. There wasn't yeah. a lot of expense. They had yeah. the equipment, they had the grip department, they had the, the standing. They sets. had an airplane set, right? <laughs> on the uh, on the IMDb, Deborah Scott is earthquake is in her. IMDb listing and it says TV version uncredited. Oh, ah. you got no credit for and no residuals. Uh, you know, well, that's a, that's also an interesting point. And Darren, you might know something about this. Um, in those days, there must have been some kind of carve out from the DGA because mm -hmm. the directors were not involved. I mean, certainly they didn't direct the other unit, right? But they they seemingly were not involved in any approvals. Yeah, of, I I think in the in, it's usually, going back specifically to Star Trek. Yeah, usually because uh, yeah. Robert Wise definitely was not consulted yeah. at all. Those yeah. those editions came from Roddenberry's office. Yeah. Um, but uh, in some instances, I know on uh, certain video releases when they do that, they uh, try to package any you know usually any additional footage or stuff as bonus material so they don't have to pay any of the union uh requirements for oh, regular production that's interesting uh, because if it's if it's used as uh as bonus uh you know uh, as content as content and yes. and uh, and ad basically advertising material yeah. they don't have to pay any of the union yeah. requirements yeah so inter it's so interesting so, I mean, you know, there, there, were, there was a bunch of these signature movies. And then, you know, by the time home video starts to become a bigger thing, um, you see it less and less. I, I mean, Star Trek II also had an ABC cut, whereas yeah. Star Trek III did not. By then, I, I, you know, I don't really remember starting in the mid-80s, many of these movies having. Yeah, there uh, also wasn't a lot of stuff on Star Trek III that was filmed and not used. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you think that was because of, of the popularity of, of cable. Now that you had cable television coming and they were actually airing theatrical versions of films on HBO and Showtime, right. that the, the networks 
how are they going to compete? You know, even with the TV cuts. Yeah, and they also didn't have to worry about the running time. Right. Right. They didn't have to fall into a two-hour slot with commercials yeah. or two two-hour slots with commercials or a three-hour slot with commercials. Because <laughs> often on Sundays, they would the longer movies would start at seven sometimes yeah. as opposed to, to eight, um, at least on the East Coast. Um, and I guess probably the biggest, most well-known of all of these movies, I mean, for us, it's obviously Star Trek, but uh, is Godfather, the complete saga, which yeah. they turned into a week. Yeah. Um, you know, by 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 doing a chronological version of Godfather One and Godfather Two, which also is not without its charms. Uh, Godfather One and Two, in and of themselves, are obviously masterpieces and better movies. But the Godfather: The Complete Saga is interesting. It is good. I love it because there's a lot more of young Clemenza, Bruno Kirby, <laughs> as the young Clemenza. Yeah. You know, you see a lot more of his life with Robert De Niro and what he was up to and. I like that stuff. It's 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 not bad. It's good. Yeah. And I do, I do think that you know, uh, like with Blade Runner, I like having all three cuts. You know, because there's times times where I feel like watching the original noir version. And there are other times I feel like watching you know the final the final cut, the ultimate cut. Um, and and that's why I think that you know, particularly with streaming now dominating the home video world you know you you need to be able to put out all these cuts and all this bonus stuff in order to make people want to buy physical media yeah. so and i i you know look that brings us look that brings us back to star trek i think we'd all you know darren most of all want to see star trek the motion picture uh director's edition finally get its well-deserved home video 4k release um and hopefully that will happen with paramount uh and I'm not saying any, I haven't had any conversations with Darren. I don't know what the status is. I only say, you know, it's certainly my hope personally that uh, this will see the light of a projector bulb at some point in the, in the coming year or two. You know, I think you know, never, I, there's never been a better chance for it to happen than this year. I mean, the great thing about it is like with the Snyder Cut, I even said this on my own. You bring up observations, Mark. I said, I, I was saying there's never going to be a Snyder Cut until there was HBO Max. Right. And, you know, right. they want to find things to bring in viewers. And I said, you know what? I said this back in 2019. I said HBO Max could step in because the real question that the people always want to know is, well, why why can't these things happen? But who's going to pay for them? Yeah. You know, where, where, where yeah. where's the money going to come from and how where's the remuneration for the costs that there are incurred to make these things happen? And now streaming services that are going to want to spend. In, in some cases, billions of dollars on new programming. Here's something sort of ready-made. You don't have to spend a lot on it, but you get a lot of bang or publicity for your buck. And I think with Paramount Plus making such a, they have, they have a, a, a new trailer that's just about the Star Trek Star franchise. Trek, yeah. Yeah. And, and it's like, uh, what better way than to do the 4K restoration? And indeed, not just the Star Trek, the motion picture, but of all the Star Trek films yeah. other than Star Trek 2, which was done in 4K, but only released uh, on the Internet. Yeah. So why not do them all? Well, Rob, that's actually a really great point, because the thing is, all these stream platforms have an insatiable appetite for content. And the thing about the, the, these new versions of old classics are, are you know, as expensive as they would have been for home video, they're a, rel a relative pittance to, to it compared to creating new material. And when you create new material, there's no guarantee anybody's going to care. But if right. you do something that has a built-in fan base, like arguably 
the Snyder Cut, uh, Justice League, DC, you know, certainly Star Trek. You Absolutely. Know, you, you would hope that, yeah. you know, Paramount, uh, you know, and certainly it seems as though Viacom is putting some money into this, unlike, say, Peacock, which is sort of not really spending a ton of money on original content. They are right. spending some, but they're not making the commitment to it that HBO Max is making, certainly that Disney Plus is making. Um, which is why, you know, Disney has had such success. And even Disney, I think, was a little caught flat-footed that they didn't premiere with enough original content. And, right. you know, because they had this incredible library uh, and the Disney is the one uh, studio that's a brand, uh, they were able to, you know, come out of the gate strong, but then they realized, oh my God, we got to create all this content. because, well, Especially after 2020, when people began watching intensely mm-hmm. uh and yeah. going through all the content that was on these channels. Yes. Yeah. And so they needed even more than they did before. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think a case could be made, you know, when I was working on the, the DVD of Star Trek five, the final frontier, I was like, you know, I was really pushing, let's do some kind of a director's cut. And there was no interest because the sales figures on Star Trek five, it was always the least, yeah. the, 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 the least Lowest successful selling. home video. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, the two movies, aside from the motion picture, but the two movies I think would benefit the most from uh, extended cuts or reimaginings would be Star Trek V, and I hate to say this, but Star Trek Nemesis. Because mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff that was cut out of that film makes it a much better movie. Mm-hmm. And we, we've seen most of those uh, uh, those features. The, the deleted scenes are on the DVD and the Blu-ray, but I don't know why they were removed. And I think release the beard cut. <laughs> I don't know about that. But, I, but I, I, I'm just saying it's such a it's such a I, I think that that Star Trek was has never been treated by the studio in a Tiffany manner. It's always kind, even though Star Trek two and America uh, officer and a gentleman were the two first sell through videotapes that ever were, you know, thirty nine ninety five. Get them. And and uh, Indiana Jones, our Raiders Lost Ark too. But other than that, like Star Trek has never been treated, at least the movies haven't, in a in a in a in a great manner. I mean, they did special features, but why aren't they out in 4K? It's like a movie series with low self esteem. So when you <laughs> when you go out there with low self esteem, what you expect people to buy, you know, they're not gonna. But you got to put out that confidence. <laughs> how can they do? I mean, we do have Star Trek Two on Blu-ray, the director's cut. But why not do a 4K? It's 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 downloadable. Yeah. Why not put it in a nice package? Come on, and it's beautiful. I mean, we've seen the DCP at the Cinematheque Projected, the 4K DCP. It's great. The one on iTunes is great. Um, but you know, again, Star Trek Two is the only one that's ever been treated with any respect because that's the one that everyone loves. And that's the one that sells a lot, sells the most. But, you know, I, I, I've seen it the most, too. So yeah, I right. really would like to see the other films get treated with that same level. It's certainly not the best looking of the. No, of the no, <laughs> no, that's for sure. It, it looks it looks fairly discounted. Yeah. Yes, it does. It, it looks like what it was. <laughs> you yeah. Know, which was, movie. Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, Shot on location it, on the motion picture sets. this is also um it's also interesting because you know i will say this that um you know obviously the 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 fan base for star trek has probably never been more polarized you know and there are people who who love what's happening with the cbs all access shows and and there's a fair amount of people that don't right um so it, it it 
so it makes sense that you would, you know, you have this library of stuff that people really love to spend a little bit of money um, to capture their passion and yeah. get them to be, uh, 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 you know, committed to your, your new streaming platform as well. And they have require, money too. They have money and fact, too. They and they're more because probably they're more willing to spend it. <laughs> because the, 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 they, they have more disposable income because they're older, <laughs> you know, for the most part. I mean, people, I mean, look, not to characterize, uh, you know, but I would say fans of TOS and fans of TNG are generally probably for the most part older than fans of some of the newer material. Yeah. Not always. I mean, there's some very young fans who love the original and very young old fans who love the, the new material. Um, it's funny, you know, this is, I'm going off on an aside and I probably shouldn't no. say this on this podcast, but you know, the, the one thing that I, I, I dislike more than some of the new Star Trek is the, the fans who dislike the new Star Trek. It's like, they are so hateful <laughs> and so sexist and racist. It's unbelievable. Can't you just like, not like them because they're not good. Why does it have to be because, Oh, they're too woke. They're too this. They're too that. It's like, no, you're just like, Oh my God, there's enough not to like about some of these shows without like the vitriol and the hatred <laughs> and the, Oh my God. I, I wow. read some of these things and it's just like, that's, give me a break. That's probably I hate a, them for the right reasons. Yeah. No, that, that's probably a podcast uh, episode for our Patreon channel when we start one. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't because, think we'll be because that. uh, that's a that's a deep issue, and I, I think we're not going to solve it here. Uh, here at the uh, council table. We have to wait until the table. Uh, no, no. And look, we have Eddie Egan here, and, and yes. like we have this great resource. Um, and we're so ignoring him. For when God we God. look, <laughs> when we when, no, when we look back at at, at uh, this era, is there one of these uh, extended? cuts uh that stand out to you the the uh uh the most that that you know you look back at and you think well that really improved that movie that was actually a better experience for me than the theatrical release oh yeah um, uh (laughs) didn't spartacus have some scenes added to it (laughs) did i think it did actually (laughs) Yeah, I bet Kubrick because, wasn't involved with oh, that. Because, yeah, Spartacus <laughs> did because uh, Lawrence Olivier and oh, Tony yeah, Curtis yes, yes, for the, have for like the, a, for the restoration. A, yeah. a dicey, yes, yes. homoerotic scene. And mm-hmm. Anthony and to- Hopkins, Tony Curtis, right? Yeah. Anthony, Tony Curtis. Yeah, and Anthony Hopkins did, um, did, his vo- did Olivier's voice, right? Uh, it's not you, the same as Rich Little doing Gene Hackman's voice. Oh, much yeah. Miss Tessmacher. Much <laughs> North. Uh, <laughs> Are you partial to snails or oysters? Yes, that's <laughs> um, no, but you know, I, you guys are all filmmakers. You 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 know that generally deleted scenes are deleted for very good reasons. Absolutely. And I I'm a, I I for the life of me, I mean, I understand the fanish aspect of it, but I don't understand why it is so difficult to accept. Um, from fans that this padding or this, you know, every line that every minor character had should be added to the narrative makes it better. It, it, no, they're gone because they, they slowed it. They slowed things down. Mr. Sulu, uh, take Lieutenant Ilea in hand. Yeah. Well, okay. And that's a great point. So here, like we talked about this a little bit the last time, fans feel entitled or the desire to see every, you know, foot, every of scrap film of film 
that went yes. through a camera on these projects. So of yes. course you have, you know, obsession with the memory wall sequence in Star Trek, the motion picture. I mean, why is anyone entitled or, and at the end of the day, why does anybody care? I mean, I mean it's, it's, inter- it's, I think it's interesting for people to see those things and they should be available as bonus. Content. I have an answer for that, Mark. But curiosity, you know, anyone insatiable can, curiosity. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's 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 a, that's a better answer. <laughs> well, with things like that, I, I mean, you know, it was never finished. Correct. Yeah. Where whereas like I think one of the things about Star Trek, the motion picture that makes that makes all of us want it is the central storyline, which is Spock's appreciation and realization of the value of human emotion. Mm-hmm. Uh, is is perhaps in all of cinema history one of the most uh, revelatory moments for a, a pop culture, a beloved pop culture character that changes that character yeah. irre- irrevocably. And we see it in Star Trek II when we first go into Spock's quarters and, and Kirk is there to talk with him. Spock is serene. Yeah. You know, we, we, we see him different than he was. And 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 all of that was set up in Star Trek, the motion picture. And I remember, you know, on TV, when you see Spock crying and the, uh, is that for us? Uh, no, I, I, I weep for V'ger as I would a brother. And I remember like the first time I saw that, I was like, what? What is like, I this? Saw, I saw Star Trek, the motion picture 13 times in the theater at the same theater, the John Dance Theater in Bellevue, Washington. And <laughs> I, 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 I couldn't believe it. And it was like. Oh my God, Spock is crying. And I'm like, how, how is this not in the movie? Like, this is huge. And that's, I think that's what we, we think all, I I think we've been conditioned to think all deleted scenes are that way. Right. Even though, as Eddie said, "Mm, they're not. Well, this goes to what Eddie was saying, which is so interesting that they didn't promote these movies as being expanded. I, I vaguely recall TV Guide may have said there was additional footage in it. Right. I, I vaguely because I do remember like watching it and like going crazy over like because you you know we all knew this movie every frame of it. Yeah. You know, and so when the the, the new footage you know unspooled. It was like wow, and and yep. and you know the fact of the matter is, yeah. For every take, uh, Lieutenant I Leah in hand, there was a, a spot crying sequence. Absolutely. So there was a mix of like you know the bad, the good, the bad, and the ugly with with the, with that footage. But it was it was definitely a revelation, and I think you came out of it feeling like wow, yeah, there's it, a better it, it movie in here. It wasn't just a noticeable change in room tone. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I gotta ask you, Eddie. You you were very, you were very. um, uh, At this point, you know, you were at Paramount. You were working on on a bunch of films for them. You'd worked on Grease. You worked on, you know, a lot. You're going to work on Star Uh, Trek. Now, actually, you know, I only worked on Grease two. Oh, okay. I stand corrected. Not quite Uh, that old. My apologies to (laughs) Maxwell Caulfield. Um, So uh, my question to you is, you know, because you were very engaged with the fan and fan outreach. Was do you recall uh, hearing from fans after the motion picture extended cut aired and and people wondering what this was and what this meant and what was going on with I, the film? I, I, I do, and all I all I really remember about that was that there was this bubble of activity and and outcry that um, that it was on a fleeting tell that it passed by on a television screen never to be seen again right and 
we used to aggregate that kind of, uh, you know, sentiment as they now call it. Um, and sort of just give a top, top line reading and pass it on. Um, but I think that, I think that's partly what led to that version being um, released on home, on home entertainment mm. because there was such a reaction to it. Um, and, you know, good or bad, this, the special longer version may have indirectly led to the director's edition. I think absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It did. So, um, you know, fan fans get all get, get their, their, panties in a twist and leave threatening voicemail messages and send nasty letters that studios don't care about them. And, you know, I don't know if they don't, studios don't not, they don't not. Studios yeah. care about fans, but not it's about. Sometimes they don't know. Correct. 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 And more often than not, it finally comes down to, there is no cost center right. to address these things so unless you have the head of a studio who has like a um, a slush fund of hundreds right. of millions of dollars to preserve movies or restore movies or augment movies it's not gonna it's just not gonna happen uh, the streaming platforms have made that easier as as you, as mark you pointed out with paramount plus but unfortunately even with them the catalog titles are not what is driving the success of these platforms. It's like the big blockbusters from like the last five or 10 years and the, the new, the new movies and the new content and the sitcoms. And uh, you know, it's less so the fact that, you know, HBO max has this criterion, a bunch of criterion titles, you yeah. know, and Paramount plus is going to have a bunch of, um, you know, I imagine, you know, vintage classic, you know, people aren't signing up for breakfast at Tiffany's. Um, I, I, maybe you know, the Godfather, the Godfather, the, the complete saga. That would be Perhaps. great. I know HBO it's aired it a couple of years ago, which was a terrific. They did a restoration of it. Yeah, uh, Coppola did, and um, yeah, I mean, I love what Coppola keeps doing with these. Yeah, films all th all three of the Godfathers are right now on CBS All Access, although yeah. not, not the Godfather Three. Yeah, Coda. not the Coda. Not the Coda. Yes. Yeah, the which death of Michael Corleone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I love Coda. It's not a revelation or anything. It doesn't appreciably make that film that much better. But, I, you know, I enjoyed watching it. I'm glad it exists. I think it's a little sure. bit better than the theatrical version. I, and, and I love stuff like that. And I'd love to see more of that with these. There uh, is there is a home video version of Godfather three as well. There's a long, longer version. that I think it's nine minutes longer. Of Godfather home video. No, that of Godfather yeah. three home video. Yeah. Huh. Hmm. Um, so I want to ask you, because we talked, look, the last time we talked about a bunch of scenes from motion picture, we talked about Sulu and Alia. We talked about, uh, you know, he wants to see how he scrambles his molecules. Um, obviously we talked about stuff that made it into the director's edition and stuff that, that, uh, didn't, um, that was in that ABC cut, you know, such as, uh, Kirk going after Spock. There are a couple of little things we didn't talk about, like the security right. guard on the bridge being, uh, zapped, right. uh, which I think was in the comic book. Yeah, it was definitely, uh, it was it was in, definitely the in the comic book because it, it was in the screenplay. I mean, yeah. so the, the no one could see the movie, so we had to give licensees the 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 final shooting script. And there was and a that set, was in there. there was a, a, a still from the set that yes. showed him. Oh yeah, was staged. Yes. Yeah. yes, as as many things are staged. Sure. 
Yeah, for just for still. I, I wonder what one of the reasons that was cut because obviously those costumes were awful. Those security guard costumes were just so horrible. Um, because it is a piece of action in a movie that's relatively devoid of action. So it seems like an odd thing to have cut unless it was just shot wrong. Uh, well, but, or, but then it, it brings up the question of it, it makes the loss of Ilea less so. Mm, you know, yeah. it, it says, well, you know, then we start thinking, well, what happened to the security guard? Why isn't he a probe yeah. now walking right. around mm-hmm. in his underwear? Yeah. You know? <laughs> it, it, or, in a, or in a very short skirt. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it, it just it just it muddles the, the narrative a little bit. Yeah. So I think that's to me, I think that's why it was left out. Yeah. And of course, the self-destruct sequence was something you restored for a director's edition. Right. That was also in the ABC cut, but not in the theatrical version where they're going to blow up also, the Enterprise. There's also footage of Ilea visiting the uh, engineering the engine deck. Uh, and uh, yeah. which uh, which we had on the director's edition. But there was no production audio for. Yeah. Mm. So, uh, but it was it was fascinating. I mean, it didn't. Why thing, did you just didn't, loop Persis's voice, Darren? I, I wasn't yet as adept uh, at Persis's voice as I am now. <laughs> Let me put it that way. Um, but uh, it, it just it it didn't add anything to the narrative. Yeah. You know, it didn't it didn't uh, up the uh, the tension level. It didn't reduce the tension level. It didn't do anything to help the movie move along. So I think you bring up a, a really good point in terms of philosophically, why include deleted scenes? And I think in the case of Star Trek, certainly with the motion picture, it accentuates the story. Yeah. And in, in, in my, my philosophy is if there's more story and with Star Trek is something about canon or the universe or the characters and frequently it adds more to those things. And that's what we're, we're hungry for yeah. is to see uh, we're, we're given moments with information that we didn't previously have. And that's what makes the deleted scenes. I mean, Peter Jackson mastered it with the extended cuts of Lord of the Rings. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even though that goes back to Tolkien, but, but the, the Star Trek, I mean, the director's cut, again, I was talking about Spock's Spock's transition to liking emotion, but, but even in, in nemesis, you know, there's, there's, there's bits of character moments and development that are really, I think, wonderful. Right. Just little moments between Riker and Troy or Wesley Crusher or whatever that that it didn't make sense to lose them. But that was because Stuart Baird didn't know why those moments would matter. Yeah. Things that make it feel like a completed story and, a, and an yes. interesting movie. Yeah. But it's interesting because you guys also restored under the aegis of Bob Wise um, the uh, uh, Chekhov uh, scene where Chekhov is is wounded after the probe uh, attacks the Enterprise right. and uh, uh, you know ch- you wait but for Chapel the reason and Ilea helps him yeah because the reason is that's not a Chekhov scene that's an Ilea scene mm-hmm. yes mm-hmm. that's the reason it's because Ilea shows compassion for Chekhov and she is the most emotional person on the ship so therefore she needs to be the representative that goes to V'ger to show the emotional side of things. It, it surprises me that Star Trek has never had Deltons again after, after the motion picture. Because it is, a, it is a fascinating, I mean, as much as we like to make fun and joke about, you know, it, it's all of Roddenberry's obsessions in one package. Right. It, it is a sort of interesting culture, right? Sure. Yeah, well, now well, to examine. One of, one, the, one of the characters in Star Trek Two on the regular station was written as a Delton. Hmm. Hmm. Um, he, he actually has a line. 
he's he's one of the I think he's the only other person besides Besh and Butrick mm-hmm. that have a line. Was that Jetta? Jetta. Yeah, the mm. the dark haired the dark haired guy a, was in supposed the to be a Delton. A, a Delton. Interesting. What yes. are we going to do about it? They're on their way. That's well, it's right. funny too <laughs> that you it's, it's funny that you say that because you would think that Deltons the way they were written if they 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 communicate sexually that here's an opportunity to delve into a canonical Star Trek race that could have a very let's say open-minded view towards sexuality yeah yeah where you could you could have somebody could be you know male female transgender whatever you want to call them deltons would be like i'm there all right let's Mm -hmm. get busy you know and and too much it was a tv schedule they had to move on they couldn't (laughs) but i mean now you think that like why, why do they have to make the orions you know the orions the the how how they become sort of the, the de facto <laughs> the Orion syndicate. I mean, it's like they took all that stuff from role playing games. It's certainly it's so weird that the Orions have become the modern Star Trek equivalent of Vito Corleone and the Cosa Nostra. It's bizarre. So so Jetta would have been a Delton, except he didn't want to shave his hair. You know, it's right. the 80s. He's like, how am I going to go out with a, as a bald guy? But there are a lot. Look, there are a lot. Uh, there are a lot of things that one hand didn't know what the other was doing on that sure. show. I mean, people were cast the day before. I'll tell you something that I think I'm, I have never spoken about publicly. Um, and it's in the movie, but it, it uh, resulted in a couple of hours of shutdown on the day uh, when they were doing the exterior of SETI Alpha, is it six or five that survives? Five. They think it's six. They're on five. Say Alpha five. They're on five. They're on Seti Alpha right. five. Yeah. Um, the this two, is Seti Alpha five. Yeah. Right. The two <laughs> stunt doubles mm-hmm. who were going up and down the rocks with the wind machine, who were oddly enough not Koenig and and um, Winfield. Right. Um, the casting person, because that was a stunt player, didn't know that Paul Winfield, an African-American, had been cast as Terrell. Uh. And uh, they made a judgment to make him up as Mm. African-American. Wow. And while they were shooting, someone on the crew, I think rightfully, called the union mm-hmm. and the show was shut down briefly. Mm. Wow. And they got, they, they, they did, they got an African-American stunt yeah. player. They corrected the situation um, and, and did the rest of the setups, but wow. there are the, the, one of the, one of the main shots, I think the camera's coming up over a rise, I think mm-hmm. um, it's, it, it's it's two white actors. One of them made up to seem African American. Wow, that's interesting. This is what I love about this show. <laughs> you know, here we are, forty almost forty years later. We're still hearing things about these movies we never knew. <laughs> well, I remember that vividly because I I got called over. You know, when there was a labor relations person there, sure. and you know, it never got out because it was Until a. Now. a it was an innocent mistake until they decided to, you know, make up a white actor to yeah. appear black. Yeah, 
Sure. Yeah. 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 Can you imagine if that happened today? Yeah. Whoo. The internet would burn down. This isn't the jazz singer. So uh, things have changed. Um, Okay. So that's interesting. That brings us kind of, I'm glad we're, we're, we're living in that, the cargo carriers on, on SETI Alpha 5, because this was something that was brought up uh, as a result of our last show. Yeah. And we all did a little more of a deep dive into exploring it because it is something that, you know, a lot of people aren't aware of, which is the kid on SETI Alpha 5, you know, uh, the, the, the storyline regarding Khan's, you know, Khan's, you know, they're, they're kids on the, on the planet, obviously, yeah. whether they're Khan's kids, I don't know, but, um, I want to speak to that because there are, you know, over the years, there've been a couple of times these photos have found their way into circulation. One, which of course is the face in the window of the cargo carriers to check off and Terrell see when they first land on SETI Alpha 5. And then there's this weird shot that a lot of people think is just a deep fake of a baby on the transporter pad in um, at the end on the Reliant, which is with, not. With, it's actually, with, with the Genesis, with the Genesis machine. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, you know, if you would, gentlemen, uh, <laughs> why, why don't you sort of lay, lay out the table? And I, I want to thank, um, I think it was Fact Trek, who was yes, kind enough to send yep. along um, the, the actual pages and uh, had access to the work print. I want to credit where credit yeah. is due, yeah, the, where they validated the, this was shot. Well, th- there was dialogue shot, which referred right. to mm-hmm. the child. Uh, look, I, I'm, I, I have a pretty good memory, but as far as I can remember, they never actually shot with a child on the on in the cargo carriers. Mm-hmm. Um, it may have been someone's child, right? Like just put there. Mm-hmm. Um, I do remember the baby on the transporter pods because. Um, that machine made so much noise when it was turned on mm-hmm. that they, they tried to do something and the baby cried or crawled off or kept looking at the camera, but that thing was incredibly loud. I don't know sure. if you guys have ever heard the production audio. Mm-mm. No. It was deafening. Wow. Um, so I, I don't remember, I, I do remember like that we killed all of those photos. By, by the way, let me just go off on a little tangent. All these photos you see now of behind the scenes stuff, including the memory wall. And I'm telling you where all of those came from. They all came from Major Roddenberry. Sure. Because they had a contract. They got a copy of proof sheets uh, as part of their Lincoln Enterprises mm. deal. And they weren't obligated to... Uh, observe the kills and kills for uh, those who may or may or may not know are either actual uh, actors contractual rights to uh, not use autograph that is not flattering or something the studio kills because a scene has been removed or uh, or a plot element revealed plot elements right but Rot Majel used to get every single contact sheet and a dupe set of every single slide mm, and wow. on every every uh, first four movies at least i can only speak for so all of those unmarked proof sheets 
I guarantee you are from Major Roddenberry initially. Um, but I do remember that kid being, I, I thought that that kid in the transporter room was someone's on the cruise child. Right. <laughs> How fortuitous was it that it was a bust? Because um, obviously that would have changed the whole dynamic yeah. at the end it's of like that shooting picture. a dog. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And you're about to have this big moment where Spock dies, but you're thinking, oh, well. But what know. about the kid? Yeah. What, about, yeah. what happened to the kid? Khan <laughs> killed his own baby? I yeah. mean, you know, from hell's heart, I stab at thee, and so does he. <laughs> but, but, but also the, the transporter shot of the device, it smokes at one point, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was shot twice. I believe the one that's in the movie with the smoke, the one that was so incredibly loud, was shot on um, the day after principal photography, which was insert day. People mm. pushing buttons, sure. running down corridors. Um, uh, they had that going a lot of that day. Um, and I, that's why I... I vaguely remember it being someone on the crew's child right not an actor was that jamie horner's cameo too when uh oh yeah 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 that was all that oh yeah they asked they asked every like they they, to not pay people they asked everyone sure yeah who could fit in a (laughs) uniform i I wanted to be one of the people that pulled up the great great torpedo yes Yes. i want i i would want to have done that yeah we have the we have the pages of that dialogue from Trek Two, which dialogue? The dialogue about the child. In oh the, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and uh, do do we want to read that? We do. We do. Well, there's Let, also audio of it. There's audio. There's audio. There's production audio of Winfield and Chekhov right. talking before about they it. looped it and then cut it out. So yes. instead right. of referencing yeah. the child, they're they, they're referencing tricorder readings. Yeah, after um, the bad buck, belt buckle. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the, the Letra set belt buckle. Yeah. yeah, and now that was a longer sequence too. They they were going through, moving through the ship, and they were finding child's toys, and they were finding uh, yeah. diff- different different uh, objects until the and then that's when they find the belt buckle. That says yeah, that set day. was about the size of a small living room. Sure, you know, it was, it was <laughs> hot and and very populated by a lot of sweaty steroided. <laughs> and in women. <laughs> well, Darren, why don't you uh, why don't you tell us what that scene would have been had there been a okay. child in the window, the bedroom window? We're uh, we are on SETI Alpha Five. Uh, uh, Chekhov and Terrell are walking toward the cargo containers, and the angle is on their POV. A ruined series of man-made structures, half buried in sand. They look at each other in consternation. Chekhov is worried. Something about all this is familiar. They descend toward the structures, now seen to be the wreckage of some sort of spacecraft. They pass, but do not notice the Federation logo half buried next to their feet. Terrell, these look like cargo carriers. As Chekhov looks at a porthole, a face suddenly looks back. It is the face of a child. The apparition scares the daylights out of Chekhov and us. He screams. What is it? He comes clumsily over. A face. I saw it was like a child. He points. The porthole is empty. You're crazy. I saw it. There's an airlock. He points and they go into the airlock. 
interior of the cargo hold, Karel and Chekhov enter dumbfounded. Their POV, someone lives here. There are beds, foods, all jury-rigged, but no people. Karel checks a monitor. There's breathable atmosphere in here. He takes off his helmet, Chekhov likewise. What the hell is this? Did they crash? Where's the rest of the ship? They wander as they talk, picking up objects that bespeak a fairly sophisticated ad hoc environment. A laboratory on one hold, a kitchen, a large sand tank filled with, a, with disgusting seti eels. Abruptly, a sound. They start. A child's gurgle. I told you. I told you I saw. Shh. They start looking. They enter a new chamber. Khan's quarters. On its side in the sand, the walls are now the floor, etc., all in crookedness like its owner. On the floor, smiling at them, for example, the wall, is a baby. Tentatively, they come over to it, looking around. Chekhov's POV. Lethal-looking odd swords on one wall, a bookshelf, camera pans by 20th century volumes, Moby Dick, King Lear, the Holy Bible, and a seatbelt dangling with the name on it, Botany Bay. Botany, Botany Bay? Bay. Oh, no. What's the matter? Captain, we've got to get out of here now. Damn, hurry. But the child. Never mind, hurry. And uh, it goes on from there. But the final scene that they describe in the transporter room on the Reliant, interior Reliant transporter room, there sits the Genesis torpedo. Lights start blinking in response as we watch the child we met on SETI Alpha walks to the torpedo and smiles at the lights and apparently covers his ears because it's too damn loud. <laughs> so, so, so Eddie, we've just listened to what that scene was going to be, but you feel as though that it was not shot, uh, not, not the Reliant, but the stuff on SETI Alpha 5. I, uh, in the I have no memory of it being shot. Uh, there are certainly, there were certainly no, there was no set other than, mm what you, there were no main, other rooms the main in those chain, characters. Yeah. um uh and yeah i have no like if you ever talk to nick meyer again he, he may he may know but um yeah i don't i don't uh i'm pretty i'm almost certain that wasn't shot i think there was some debate about whether to shoot it but they they um i don't remember that. i think it I just wonder bring, if it, was a... it, it just brings ahead, up too many other questions that we don't really want to have answers to in yeah. the story. Yeah. And uh, it, it confuses things way too much. I, I wonder if also it was a product of cost. Obviously, that was a very tightly budgeted production. Uh, kid with and cost. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you already had in that scene in, in the genetic Superman, you had Drew Barrymore's third cousin and and the guy who was <laughs> carpet man at Los Angeles's carpeteria. Is that right? The one in the <laughs> turban? That's right. And, and uh, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, that was his claim to fame. The big, big nice. muscle guy, but he was carpet man at carpeteria. Wow, that's awesome. And of course, uh, Khan's pets. Uh, Khan's pets. You know, which I love the fact that they got their own in the in, in the press kit. They got their own still uh, <laughs> draped around Ricardo. I was, and they were called Khan's pets. It was yeah. like Laura Banks, and I forget who the other one was. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, we were really pushing that. They had a, they, <laughs> um, well, there wasn't a lot of sexiness in the movie, so right. that, was, that was purely a marketing decision. Apart from <laughs> apart from Montalban's chest, yes. 
I don't know that one scene in the elevator with Savic. Well, that's true. Sexy. There's a little bit of tension there. A little tension. <laughs> Do you change your hairstyle? Still well, we regular. talked about that last time also that that was a not only did you change your hairstyle, but you change it was a different change the take a different take yeah. in the ABC cut and the director's edition, not direct, whatever it was, director's yeah, yeah. cut uh, um, from the uh, the theatrical version. Yeah, which is and odd. I think very odd. I think it was to avoid because I think it was widescreen in, in mm. the um, and I think it was for the TV version. They went to one that was more pan and scan, oh, yeah. um, you know, and more close ups so that they didn't have widescreen where one person was off that out of Frank's all the time. Uh, couldn't, that, you couldn't spend a lot of time in that elevator anyway because the foam had started to rot and they didn't mm. redo, they didn't redo it for Star Trek two. It was really in bad shape. I'll bet. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so that's funny. an interesting detail you don't hear yeah. every day <laughs> and it's such a great scene it's like a, it's like out of a screwball comedy i mean yeah. i really feel like it's spencer tracy and uh you know and, and <laughs> Catherine hepper in that scene i love that scene i think i that was one of the things when rob and i were talking about doing free enterprise we we're talking about how funny shatner is that was one of the scenes we would talk about how good he is in yeah. you know in that scene and then the and button PC. when mccoy walks in she, yeah it's great yeah, it's, no, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, the, that that film, the performances across the board in Star Trek Two are just delightful. Yeah, yeah, they, they, they really they, are. They, they really are. And it, it's funny when it should be funny and it's serious when it should be serious. And um, and, and that's why you know, some of the things they cut, I think, uh, you know, although there's it's certainly intriguing to watch the extended cut. There's nothing there that's vital. Um, you know, obviously, the description of Peter Preston. And there is some stuff in the show West Reel where. Uh, Spock does describe her as her Vulcan blood and describes yes. that she's yeah, that was Vulcan. Them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but they decided against. Wait, uh, against the half Romulan. half Romulan. Yeah, half Romulan, half Vulcan, half Romulan. And they cut. They cut that part out. They right? Never in the movie. It became yeah, yeah, canon, yeah. but it was never yeah. in the movie. But but it is in the show West Real. And I think um, it's in our press materials. Uh, yeah. it, it just escaped scrutiny. It was Vonda McIntyre's novelization that, that really cemented all that. It's your protege's first race. Trifle motion. She is half Romulan, Jim. The admixture tends to make her more volatile than me, for example. Than you. Yes, I see that. On course to CD Alpha 5, all is well. Good. I believe you know David Marcus. Ah. She's learning by doing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So... You know, the Peter Preston thing we alluded to before we started, that there was some concern because they, they cut out the fact that Peter Preston uh, was his nephew um, and, and that there was some concern that there was some kind of relationship going on there that they didn't want uh, it to be portrayed as.
I actually, I have never heard this. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, that's what Bob Salen told me. I just, so, yeah. Uh, yeah I don't know. <laughs> it, just, it just seemed like he was a, you know, a, 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 yeah, a, well, now that does make sense, actually. But it never <laughs> well, occurred to me. If anything, uh, it, I, it's probably uh, wise to take that out because it becomes important that Scotty didn't take him to sickbay first. Yes, takes him the elevator <laughs> to the bridge. Yeah. Let's and, go. Let's go the farthest the, away from sickbay we can. One of the least convincing dead weight holds. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> Ever <laughs> filmed. Yeah. Because yeah. Eisenman is on a is on a you know he's on something holding him and Scotty yeah. is like <laughs> pretending <laughs> to hold him. Which, Although which, Dylan's performance, you know, he stated his post. Yeah, well, the others it's, ran. It's fine. It's, it's a just, great performance. Come yeah. on. It's just a little, it's a little goofy to interrupt. But it was good the that break. they cut because during the inspection tour, there's this whole thing where he explains who he is. You know, oh yeah, he's crazy to get to space. Yes, That's crazy right. to get to space. Yeah. yeah. And if and if the admiral can't notice that, then he's bright. He's blind as a regillian bat. Yeah, sir. <laughs> yeah, that was something like out of Jason the Star Command. Exactly. So I think it's probably good that they uh, yeah. dispense with that. Um, and then, of course, you know, look, what we didn't mention this, uh, it's easy to forget because the only one who seems to remember is George Takei, is the oh, um, the yeah. longer trip to the Enterprise where you find out that Sulu has gotten a promotion and is going to be taking over the Excelsior. Right. And um, Although, uh, why would it be the Excelsior? Because they didn't come up with the excelsior until star trek maybe 3. it wasn't the excelsior just that he it was got his some own other captaincy. ship yeah yeah that he had gotten yeah, a captaincy i thought there was a ship mentioned yeah i don't i don't know i, it, I it's don't always remember. interesting it was, to try and, and find that it's it was I, I i believe it was two things i think it was a give because mm-hmm. on every movie takei was was adamant about not returning right um I think it was a give that they shot it, but it was also just, it, it's its a very clunkily performed scene. And he has, there's a line of dialogue, which, you know, he says something like, uh, any chance to go aboard the Enterprise? And, and it cuts, I think, yeah. in the theatrical. Very abruptly. He says, is is a excuse for nostalgia or something uh, yeah 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 there's yeah, some yeah. Inc- <laughs> like words that would never come out of a human being's mouth right. in any century um well I, I i love when shatner would talk about that he said george wanted a wanted a promotion and he didn't realize that a promotion means you're not in the movies anymore <laughs> <laughs> I, you know it's so funny i have so much respect for george what he his third life politically you oh, know what he's absolutely. what he's doing but you know he's still dining out on that story about how shatner tanked the scene to deny him his promotion which is the most absurd thing uh that he contends that you know look i'm sure you know shatner didn't really want to share the spotlight with george in that scene it's kind of i I don't you know i don't even think it was that you know with with all love and respect for all of the secondary cast you know it's like if you work for a big company and you have a meeting once a week for an hour and you see someone right that's that is the extent of your relationship. That's mm-hmm, what those mm-hmm. that's what I mean, that's what those people were. To, that's what the co-stars or the secondary yes. cast were yeah. to the main cast. They just didn't work with them that much. 
Well, it's so funny you say that because that's something Shatner's been saying a lot lately. He's like, I don't get the vitriol that George has towards me because I, he was like, he said it was a glorified guest star. I mean, I barely saw him. He'd come in, you know, one day for an episode. You know, he'd okay. sit at the helm, he'd say a few lines, and he'd be gone. Then he went off to do a movie. He's like, I barely knew him, and yet he's been dining out on the story. You well, know, they all, they all, they all, they sure. all, they all did that forever. He was yeah. a day player, especially when they were promoting their biographies because right. back in the 90s they all came out with autobiographies right. and that was the only thing that got them press if they had oh shatner ruined my career shatner was out to get me they all had you know because that was doing was the first who really started with that and then they all jumped on the band even michelle who didn't really dislike him as much as the rest of them did you know that but that was the way they would get attention and get interviews if they could say something i mean how many times has george gone on howard stern and howard stern asked him about Tell us Shatner stories, you know, tell us, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, it's, you know, the, the flip side of that, and, and I don't think Shatner, no one gives him the consideration is that, you know, Star Trek was a really beautifully produced show. It was an expensive show, contrary to popular belief, but it never quite, if they had demographics, it would have been quite, it would have been a very successful show, but it was always like, it was always the runner up in the ratings. Yeah. And so it all fell to Shatner. Like right. it was Shatner who wasn't the guy who was taking it across the finish line. Yeah. He was considered to be the person that wasn't enough of a of a star to make Star Trek the success it should have been. So from his perspective, can you imagine the pressure on him? Yeah. And Star Trek gets canceled after season two and then the letter writing campaign, they come back for season three. It's not like Shatner was exalted as this great star right. who had all of this power. At the time, I mean, he never Star Trek was never something satisfying. I'm sure well, the motion picture was probably the most satisfying time he ever had from Star Trek when it got made and it was so expensive. Yeah. And it was he was he was having Robert Wise direct him. And people you know, forget that he had just he had been on the show that everyone told him he was going to be a huge star, was going to go for many years for the people. This is going to be a big, prestigious show. The show gets canceled like almost right away. Then he gets offered this sci-fi show that Jeffrey Hunter, who was a big movie star, had already done and turned down. So could you imagine how nervous Shatner was? It's like, if this doesn't work, I'm screwed. Yeah. yeah. And he had daughters to support and a wife and 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 you know well after the third season he was screwed because he got he got uh, divorced and the divorce settlement was based on him working in a weekly TV series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So exactly. he was he was completely ruined. For so he years. had so much riding on that. But let, look, let, let's talk anyway. about that Star Trek 2. Let, let's <laughs> talk about Star Trek 3. Star Trek 3, there are a lot fewer scenes, which is why many of them have never been uh, um, um, seen. One of the most notable is the ending, the Vulcan processional that was going to take Spock up to Dame uh, Judy Dench for Dame Judith Anderson. Dame Flight. Uh, <laughs> The, you know, for the uh, for the Faltor pan or the G General Chung General, I don't no, know. It's Faltor pan, the refusion. Yeah. Oh, okay, good. well, you're good. There you go. So, so you know, again, we have a, we have an excerpt from the script. Spock, uh, you're uh, a blunt instrument. Oh no, uh, wait, Vul that's Judy Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Vulcan's uh, responding to Spock's passage. Feature: Small girl releases herself from her father's grip and moves alongside the body, makes the Vulcan salute, and whispers with great solemnity. Small girl, live long and prosper, Spock. Reaction cuts from Kirk and the others, and we dissolve too. So, I mean, this was, you know, 
it's interesting, Eddie, if you recall this, because this seems like something that actually had production value that was somewhat big and epic. And so it seems like an odd thing to cut because this is not a particularly good looking movie. It's a cheap looking movie. It's very insular. Um, And yet, you know, this is the big, you know, the big epic ending. And then this is the thing that gets excised. Well, they had they had uh, ambition, not never plans, but they had an ambition to open that scene to for that scene to pay off. You know, you were you were going to Vulcan for the first time in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, they scouted some practical locations. Uh, they ended up uh, with, I think, the only outdoor location in Star Trek Three. Which is Occidental College in yeah, Glendale, um, but again, it was it was the parameters of the budget. You know, I think the script suggests a huge number of people turning out and lining a, a, a lining the sides of a a, a a staircase built into a mountain. Um, but you know, it it finally came down to a reflecting pool that they put some piece of set dressing in. And they trotted out uh, maybe a bunch of extras in addition to the usual suspects who were the lighting stand-ins mm-hmm. for the main crew who could always be used as extras. And in fact, they're seen in every one of the movies. Um, if you just watch carefully in the background, you'll see Uhura's stand-in, lighting stand, lighting double, sorry. Mm, um, yeah. uh, Bill Leonard's, uh, 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 Dr. McCoy's they're they're all they're they're all in all of the movies in various in various scenes and it was just a matter of uh, it was a split day they they got a few shots at Occidental College and it was very it was very windy so mm-hmm. it was it was and the the clock the clock was ticking so they went back and you know did what they did on on that huge the big stage at at Paramount, where Judy Anderson worked, right. I'm the steps. That's of I think the only college. scene. I, the only scene I can that I remember uh, uh, sort of not being shot as scripted mm. or being scaled down. Right. I think there's the scene in the turbo lift at the beginning between Kirk and McCoy. Oh yeah, yeah. That was reshot comic. actually. They reshot that at one point. Just you know for a why? performance thing. I, ah. I, yeah, yeah. Interesting. And then, of course, you know, there are people, some people think there was more with Valkyris. I'm not sure that's true. No. Yeah. <laughs> she didn't well, even have it a, definitively. They didn't have a set. They had a cargo net or a box, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'd like to have more with Valkyris. <laughs> now, now. <laughs> Rob. <laughs> Just Understood. saying, the right tool for the right job, Rob. Yeah. Um, so okay, so um, the, yeah, so Star Trek Three, but you know, again, Star Trek Three was a super limited budget, and and you know, look, he was as as Leonard said, the training wheels were on on that one. Yeah, you know, they they were watching him like a hawk, and and you know, they weren't going to film stuff that wasn't going to end up in the movie because even though it was more expensive than Star Trek Two, it was also much bigger. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and of course, you know, we, we've talked to you recently to Robin Curtis, who replaced Kirstie Alley in the film uh, for a variety of reasons that aren't worth getting into or that we won't get into. Um, but uh, 
Um, and then, you know, one of the biggest disappointments is they had planned to go to Hawaii to shoot that, but because of the budget, they yeah. shot it on the back lot. Yeah. And not even on the back lot of the stage. So yeah. uh, it's it's a little underwhelming. Okay, so Star Trek Four. By the way, um, you know who you should hunt down sometime? The kids who played Spock. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, that's a good idea. Um, because there were three, there was three of them. There was a little boy, and then there was a guy. One of them was named Joe Davis. I forget whether he was the right. one. I don't even the know the older one of oh, the middle they, one. They are they are credited actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, yeah, they would be interesting to talk to because they worked <laughs> on that crazy set and and in very key scenes. You know that they were not allowed to talk about. So. That's funny. Yeah, that's a good idea. You know, it's funny because that, that's a movie that the three of us can all agree. Not neither. None of us like, you know, or I mean, none of like us any love. Star Trek movie. None of us love because we watch it. You know, of course, we'll watch it and enjoy it. But, you know, it's the one thing where our audience is totally not on board with us. No. People love that movie. They get really upset when we talk about how bad it is. And it's really amusing because it's I'll, a terrible I'll join, movie. I'll join you three on that. <laughs> well, I, we're just I know, calling it like it is. I know the reason. One word: Klingons. People love the Klingons, uh, and I don't know why. But do I they love don't. bad acting? There's such, there's such bad. I don't know. I do not deserve to live. Finally, Finally kill kill that's good acting. <laughs> but Maltz, John Larroquette, certainly not up to his narration in the beginning of the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Let me tell you that. <laughs> It's just so goofy, Star Trek 3. And it really, you know, it's funny. Star Trek 2 was the cheap movie, but Star Trek 3 is the one that looks cheap. Totally yeah, and the out. funny thing is that Harv Bennett's original story outline that you must have, John, uh, Mark, because I gave it to you and you, I know you have it somewhere. But that original story outline was so good. Yeah. Well, I've been working so on the good. garage during lockdown. Slowly, I've been finding all this great stuff in the garage. So I will look and see if I have that return to Genesis. You'll, and if we you'll do- find it. We give me Genesis. We'll, we'll, I just uh, want to we'll get it. I, I would just love to read it again. Just scan it or take pictures. Of Rob, it was that one of the ones that had Spock's brother in it? No, there no. was one. There was some version of the screenplay of three that had Spock's brother. Yeah, no, this this was not. I mean, this 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 was when they go back to Vulcan. And when when Kirk and 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 Sarek have their confrontation or their moment, it's actually on Vulcan. took place on Vulcan, and and Vulcan was in the midst of social upheaval and unrest because they were mortified that Genesis exists and there was talk of um, seceding from the getting Federation. seceding from the Federation. Uh, yeah, and it Spock was, a sibling it, is never a good idea. It, it, but it was very. <laughs> what I loved about it was it, it felt epic. It felt like the stakes were like, oh my god, you know, Vulcan's going to secede and. Sorry, I'm trying to, do to hold an episode on Return of the Genesis. It's yeah. a really, it's a really, the original premise, the original outline is much better than what they ended up making. Yeah, and and the, Romul the Romulans were the villains. It was yeah, much more they, And the Romulans had like, like I, I remember reading it and the Romulan commander, they, they had landed, it snuck across the neutral zone and landed on Genesis because it, this planet just came into existence mm -hmm. and they were mining the dilithium. Because it was, you know, the Matrix is like, well, we need dilithium. Let's make a planet with dilithium. And 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 then they start getting picked off by feral Spock. And I just remember this Romulan commander being elegant and, and erudite. And he doesn't understand, like, why are my people dying? And it, it felt 
it was it was very cool. I, I don't I loved it. Well, and that's why there's well, a bird of prey. Let's hmm. talk to Eddie about the last of his Star Trek films that he was involved with as a, 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 as a as a publicist. And of course, that was Star Trek Four. because there are a couple of notable scenes. The less notable scene is where Christine Chapel comes to Sarek, at, you know, when he's rushing in to testify on uh, their behalf. And, you know, basically, how's it going? And she says, not very well. That was clearly just a, 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 a you know, you talk about with, yes. a gift. Yeah. To, to, was that to shot? No, I don't remember. Oh, no, it wasn't. Oh, it was in the script, though. I, I think she only I think she was physically on the set only on those days in that, uh, you know, that command center. The control yeah. room, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. And then the, the more famous scene, yes, I, by I the way, Lars had been shot. She would have, she would have released photographs. Sure. <laughs> yeah. True. I, uh, I always remember like, I, I can always remember cringing when, hi, it's Maisel Roddenberry. You didn't send something. You were always in trouble. <laughs> oh my God! She would have been nicer to you if she realized but what a big mocker nev- you were going to be. Never Major be- always Major Roddenberry, right? Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. You get the Major Roddenberry, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, the, the the more well known scene again because the picture uh, showed up in Starlog and I think Fantastic Films yeah. and a bunch of places where Wasulo comes across his great grandfather, yeah. uh, in San Francisco, yeah, uh, which was a cute little scene. They they tried to they, they Leonard just never got the, the the kid froze up. They never got a performance out of the kid that anyone was happy with. Mm. And um, it was late in the day and they were on location. And uh, I think Leonard promised George that they would try to pick it up in L.A. Mm. Um, right. But but it was all that was all about that that kid's performance and then and there are photographs of that right. kid and that, and George talking to him and I think there are also photographs of the kid's family with Leonard and and George um, mm-hmm. but he just he, he just wasn't able to pull off the dialogue or the you know what what he was required to do so they just moved on. I wonder if mm. the grandfather's dialogue was, uh, well, Hikaru, I won't be proud of you until you're captain of your own starship someday. <laughs> <It does feel>. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know, it's, 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 it's funny because, boy, that kid, you know, if he grew up and be a Star Trek fan, could you imagine how much he's still beating him up, himself up? Why'd I blow my big break? <laughs> what did I, I do? The Star Trek movie. You know, and it's like I, I saw said, the Phantom Menace. I know what Jake Lloyd did. I was better than him. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I'm, there was also some sense that because they had filmed the scene, it's on the you know obviously the same setup or the same location uh, where the the yellow pages yeah. right. go, mm-hmm. and everyone was so happy with how that turned out that they felt like uh, oh the gag is over. Yeah, mm-hmm. let's mm-hmm. let's move on. So so when they. It was getting, it was, uh, they were losing light and they weren't getting the performance out of the kid. And they just said, let's just wrap. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Shatner paid the kid to ruin the performance. He actually <laughs> right. was really well, great, but Shatner screwed it up for him. Yeah. So he can't use $20 if you, if, if you take your lines for George. <laughs> um, so, and that was like the end of your Star Trek era yeah. um, because you, you got out in time just while the getting was good. <laughs> I went. I w- I left Paramount, and uh, you went uh, to Universal then, right? No, I went to 
briefly to Fox, and then I was okay. at Sony, and then I went to Universal. Yeah. Come on, don't you regret missing Star Trek Five? Come on. No. <laughs> Star Trek Six, I would have liked to have worked on. Yeah. 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 Um, well, I think that. Uh, you know, I mean, we we talked pretty extensively about the scenes of Star Trek Five, other than the Mount Rushmore scene where Chekhov and Sulu walk by Mount Rushmore, which makes no sense that they were in you know South Dakota, and of course there's <laughs> yeah. an extra president on Mount Rushmore um, in a really you know bad matte painting. Um, but and Thank then you know, Star Trek that wasn't in there. Star Trek Six we we talked extensively about as well. Um, but uh, look, I, I think, you know, none of these really, you know, you're not going to see a new version of Star Trek three. There's no ver- new version of Star Trek four. Um, Star Trek five. It's not impossible. There are always possibilities, but who knows? Yeah, 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 yeah. And then uh, Star Trek six already is, a, is, again, not a director's cut as much as an alternate version, extended edition. Right. Of, it's the, uh, it's the this uh, is not Klingon blood edition. The Rene Abergenois version. Yes. <laughs> and uh, and we talked at great length about the Next Generation movies and their deleted scenes. Uh, we did avoid the we, we didn't talk about so much about uh, we did on the clubhouse. We talked about Star Trek 2009 and uh, Star Trek Into Darkness deleted scenes. And I, I don't think we're going to talk about them now. I'd say listen to our clubhouse, but you can't because it's, it you know, it's exclusive. It's, it's gone it's like at the, the wind. moment. What happens it's like in the tears in the rain in the clubhouse? <laughs> well, tears in the rain. It's so ephemeral. So, you know, next time we do a clubhouse, hopefully you'll join us because you never know what you're going to miss. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it was, uh, I mean, I, I, that was really like a, de- what, a decade you were at Paramount, wasn't it, Eddie? Uh, yeah, almost. Yeah, a year short. Yeah. Yeah. And the business was really starting to change. I mean, after Star Trek Four, when you left Paramount, I mean, this was, you know, the business as a whole was changing. I mean, you got into this because you love movies and you love working on these films. Yeah. And, um, you know, you talked about, you know, being around when Superman was being shot and some of these other yeah. films. And, but it was becoming much more corporate or even then. Yeah. Also, everything moved to the West Coast. Like the home offices had been in New York and everything moved to the West Coast, you know, because they owned real estate out yeah. here. Because yeah. you were in the Gulf and Western building. I was. Yeah, because this was post Charlie Blue. Now, now owned by he who shall yeah. not be named. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly, Lord Voldemort down in his uh, <laughs> down south in uh, uh, in in, in Mar a Lago. Yeah. Um, so um, look, this was great. This is uh, you know, look, I'm really, I'm so glad. I knew there was more to mine in this subject, and I'm so glad we did it um, because. I'm sure some of the younger audience is is probably mystified by our fascination with these extended TV cuts. <laughs> but um, and, you know, I admit so much of it is nostalgia because who really needs a longer cut of two minute warning? Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and I'm, I'm sure we're missing some, too. You know, some of these extended TV cuts. I wonder if Black Sunday might have had a TV cut. Um, but uh well, but the so music was certain. The music was certainly in the motion picture show West Reel. So yes, that's right. That's right. <laughs> that's 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 so funny that it was all tempted with Black Sunday. Yeah, I'm just um, hoping that I can finally because you know Airport 77 is a huge uh, thing for me because the first time I ever went to California, I was taking a tour of the. I was I was doing the Universal Studios tour. I was nine. It was nine, and 
where the jaw where Bruce the shark was. Yeah, they were actually shooting the scene when the 747 mm. hits the oil derrick in the Bermuda Triangle and crashes in the water. And it was the most I can't tell you how important seeing this was to me because you know i built model planes and everything right, and sure and I'm, I'm watching them fly this 747 down and it hits the oil derrick and i watched them do a run through before they actually shot it and it, it was probably more so than anything in my life i was actually watching something happen and when i saw it in the movie and you could it looked much darker in the background the painted background I, it meant so much to me and i mean <laughs> I love Airport 77. I love the score. And when I saw the TV version, there's like these these uh, criminals that are stealing Jimmy Stewart's art in the movie that was on the TV version. I'm like, yeah. wait, what is this? Like, there's a whole subplot. We you know, need it's to an do, art we need to do a whole third episode on this because we are out of time. Baby. Yeah, I, I got to say, before <laughs> we wrap up, I just got to say, if you're fascinated by Airport 77, that's all of us are. Um <laughs> Uh, a couple years ago, La La Land Records released a soundtrack album. And in that soundtrack album, it's for that and I think Airport 1979. Dude, I, it doesn't um, even say it on the cover. And when I heard okay. that the Airport 79 score was there, I was like, oh, my God. Well, the point being that Jeff Bond wrote the liner notes. And I have never laughed so hard in my life as these liner notes. It, it, they're so entertaining in terms of. Uh, explaining the history of the air airport movies and how ludicrous they are and how they get progressively more and more ludicrous. Uh, I, and and I highly recommend, not only is the music good, the music's good, you should get the soundtrack, but the liner notes are well, just, just remember, fantastic. none of them starred Barry Manilow. That is true. Yes. And we talked <laughs> about that with Tom Perry, about how um, Barry Manilow was almost cast in Airplane. But that's a story from another podcast. And this podcast is, is, is coming to its end. But Eddie, I'm so glad you came back uh, to join us. This was really, this. I got to say, this was one of my, my favorites. This was a lot of fun. And, thank you. I appreciate uh, it. I appreciate you. seeing you guys. It, yeah, it's always I mean, a pleasure right. to have you on the show. It really is. And, and during this pandemic, it's always nice to see anyone, but in particular <laughs> to see, uh, see Eddie Egan. And... Uh, I want to thank uh, Rob Burnett for joining us once again from the Burnett Work, lending his insights and his expertise to the thank program. It's me. always good to have you on the, on the Trexperts. And of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't thank our sound engineer, the great uh, Bill Ritter, along with Mark Rivera, who's been pitching in, our associate producer, Zach Raggetts, and Peter Holmstrom, as well as our producer, Natalie Miscali. You can follow us on Inglorious Trexperts at Instagram and on Twitter, as well as Facebook. And now you can join us for live post shows on Clubhouse from time to time. We'll let you know uh, via social. We won't be doing them every week, but we are going to do them from time to time. So perhaps we will do one for this show. We'll see. And uh, other than that, um, you can listen to our sister shows, Best Movies Never Made, uh, which is a great show about movies that never saw the light of projectable. And, and we're soon going to be announcing our new podcast, Extended TV Cuts, TV Dinner. No, we're not doing that. <laughs> Just kidding. And of course, uh, the 4.30 movie. And uh, you can watch our curated or listen to our curated uh, 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 audio commentaries of significant Star Trek episodes at the Trexperts briefing room, which are also streamed on the Inglorious Trexperts feed. So until next Friday, on behalf of Eddie, Rob, Darren, and myself, Mark A. Altman, keep on trekking, ingloriously, of course.
This show is produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production.